Welcome, everyone, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome everybody to the show. Hope you could spend the next hour with us. If you are new to the show and want more information, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. This show streams simultaneously to five different social networks, including YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, Monday through Friday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern United States time. I hope everyone is well. A big thank you to all of our moderators, and a big hello and a welcome to all of our viewers. We have CeCe Wheezy joining us, Khaleesi, Colette is joining us, Rick Grimes is joining us on YouTube. On the Instagram side, we have Joel... Martha is with us, Naraj, uh, Carol Ass, love the name, Mary Martins, uh, 42 is also with us, welcome Mary, uh, Ryan is giving us uh, smiley love faces on Instagram, welcome everyone, I hope you're enjoying your Wednesday evening, Colette says, sorry for missing last night, couldn't keep my eyes open, that is totally fine, Colette, we have you here with us tonight, and that's all that matters, uh, hope everyone's having a good day. Wednesday, middle of the week, hump day, as it's normally referred to. So let's just get started. Today we're going to be talking about horror demons. And uh, wow, we have a lot. There's a lot of them. Now, if you ask me right off the bat, if you mention horror demons, I don't know about you guys, but the one that pops out to me right away is Pazuzu, the famous demon from The Exorcist. Now, we don't get to find out the demon's name in the original Exorcist movie. I believe in it was in the Exorcist Part 2, The Heretic, which, you know, to put it nicely, sucked. But anyway, it was in that second movie that the uh, Pazuzu name is revealed to us. And when the Exorcist TV show uh, that was rebooted a couple of years ago, sadly, it only lasted two seasons, I love the fact that, of course, A, they brought back the whole storyline with Reagan, and that they actually mentioned Pazuzu by name again. That was that impressed me. That really impressed me that they did that on the TV show. So, just wanted to lay that out there before we get started with our news for today. So, let's just go ahead and roll into it. So, St. Maud, which has up until now been only available... If you had epics, whether it's epic, uh, epics on your cable, epics on your satellite, whichever cable, TV, satellite service you used, and you had epics or subscribed to epics uh, streaming service, every channel has a streaming service now, and we'll be getting that to that in a little bit here as well. But uh, up until now, you could have only watched this great movie through epics. But that changes this week, I believe May 7th. It's becoming available on Amazon Prime as well as Hulu. So if all of you guys out there who do have a Hulu subscription, Amazon Prime, please watch this movie. It's a great movie. It is a slow burn. And like I mentioned when I brought this up either last week or the week before, my favorite part of the film, and this is, you know, is the last split second just before they roll to credits. I think it was so beautifully done. I'm not going to ruin it for you, but that last split second of the movie was just such an excellent touch um, on St. Maud. So definitely watch that. And uh, what it goes on to say, 
Now, this is more like it. After a dismal diet of spooky house, serial killer, and seaside rental horrors during the past year, here's something very truly visually arresting, unsettling, and downright nightmare-inducing. Of course, the only disappointment is that this critically acclaimed double BAFTA-nominated crowd-pleaser has bypassed Kiwi cinemas, especially when its breakout star is currently making more than just a, a Tolkien visit to our shores. The success of St. Maud just, uh, sorry, isn't just down to a truly committed breakthrough performance from Swedish-born Welsh, Welsh actress Morfit Clark. It's also a testament to the Bruvara filmmaking skills of writer-director Rose Glass making her feature film debut. From the atmospheric score to the clever, sometimes claustrophobic framing, off-kilter camera angles, and sometimes haunting imagery, Saint Maud is a masterclass in character and tension building. Never has a bubbling pot of tomato soup seemed more menacing, while there are body horrors that would even make David Cronenberg blanch and a grimness, sorry, and a griminess and griminess that leaves a mark. Um, when we first met Morfred uh, Mauds, she's wrestling with a minor crisis of faith in one of her many conversations with quote-unquote the Lord, she pleads to him to reveal his plans for her soon. You must have saved me for something greater than this, she laments. But while the pain in her stomach is getting worse, Maud at least has the prospect of new employment to look forward to. Sure, it means an earlier start than her former hospital job, but at least she's caring for someone again. Maud is, was a nurse. And not just anyone. Amanda Cole, played by Jennifer L., is a once celebrated dancer, choreographer, and minor celebrity, now diagnosed with stage four lymphoma of the spinal cord. I dare say you'll be seeing this one soon, Maud confides during her conversations. As you know, I have little time for the creative types as they tend to be self-involved, she goes on to add. However, to her surprise, especially after warnings from her predecessor and one of Amanda's friends that she's becoming dangerously Norma Desmond-like, Maud's client takes a shine to her. Uh, that encourages her to think that maybe their relationship could be about more than just palliative care. Here is an opportunity for Maud to find real purpose. It's nothing special to mop up the decrepit and the dying, but to save a soul, she dreamily muses. Naturally, when things don't quite go to plan and all hell breaks loose, magnificently and vividly brought to life by Glass and Clark, you can expect some wild twists, manic moments, scenes you will not easily forget, and a truly heart-stopping finale. And for me, that finale is literally the last split second. 
Neither a date movie for the faint-hearted or for those with certain regular Sunday morning appointments, St. Maud may have taken until May 21 to become available to a wide Kiwi audience. And I really don't know why they keep using the word Kiwi, but anyways. It more than lives up to its reputation as the best, most memorable horror of the past year. So there you guys have it. Of course, that will mention where it's coming to, but it is coming to Amazon Prime and Hulu. Uh, I know it's coming to Amazon Prime May 7th, which is uh, the day after tomorrow. Uh, Hulu, probably around the same time, if not, if, it, if it's not already there. So now I picked this article because... As we all know, digital subscription services are blowing up everywhere. Every studio network is coming up with their own uh, subscription plan for what is called over-the-top streaming. That's what OTT is. Uh, now, the this article, let me go ahead and read it, and then I'll go ahead and explain. The Rob Savage-directed horror flick host is all set to release on OTT on May 7th. Now, right there is where my problem is, okay? They're saying that the movie, basically they're saying it's going to have a wider release. Right now, it's really available for Shudder subscribers. It is a Shudder original. Uh, But them using, you know, being released to OTT is not technically accurate. Shudder is an OTT platform. Amazon, Hulu, uh, Netflix, they are all OTT platforms. So them to uh, sort of separate those from uh, the wider audience and put OTT on a separate, I don't know, pedestal scale, whatever the hell you want to call it, is misleading. They are all over-the-top streaming. Anything that is not available on cable, satellite, whatever your TV service provider is, uh, you know, I'm talking about like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, uh, CBS All Access, and the list goes on and on, Shudder. They are all OTT, okay? Uh, The majority of them are streaming video on demand. There's also... They offer free shows as advertising video on demand, but they all fall under the the umbrella of over-the-top streaming. And there's a lot of advantages, and there's also a lot of disadvantages. With so many streaming services popping up, uh, there has been a study done, and they've given a name uh, to the effect it's having. They're calling it subscription fatigue. And I mentioned this i've been mentioning this since the start of you know dead talk live with so many different streaming services each costing you know from 4.99 6.99 net i know my netflix bill has gone up to 15 dollars a month they do have different tiers of service uh and more and more streaming services coming onto the scene it's going to cause a problem. Uh, it's a, people are going to become more selective. So it's going to be either A, the studios, distributors, come up with a way to work together to get their content out there in some kind of a uniform way 
on OTT platforms, or in the end, it's just gonna be survival of the strongest. Whoever is out is able to outlive their competitor is the one that's gonna be, you know, the final few that are gonna be left standing. Now, of course, we know Netflix, the big ones, Amazon Prime, they're not going anywhere, okay? But all these new other services, uh, you know, that have big companies behind them, we're talking about CBS All Access, they're also gonna be fine too. But there are a lot, a lot of these digital subscription streaming services popping up. Discovery uh, now has Discovery Plus uh, with a host of all their channels all loaded up into one subscription package. It's, this all started many, many years ago, ago with the concept of cutting the cord. And cutting the cord means not having to pay a cable bill anymore. So everyone started coming up with uh, streaming services, and it's a great idea. It's I knew, it was, I mean, I could have told you years ago, this is the wave of the future. And what COVID did, it actually sped up the timeline. Uh, that's why you're seeing this explosion of streaming services right now. And COVID just sped up the timeline. This was going to happen. Uh, but the big cable giants out there like Comcast, Direct TV, Dish Network, they'll be fine. They they have their uh, core base of subscribers. They're not going anywhere. They're not willing to cut the cord. I have cable TV. I'm not getting rid of my cable TV. But I'll admit, my cable TV and all my other subscriptions to these OTT services, my cable TV is the one that I least watch. And it's the most expensive. It's very expensive. Uh, and I'm also paying for a lot of these OTT services. So I can definitely see myself somewhere down the line having to make a decision and saying, A, do I just cut the cord and go with the streaming services that I want? Or, you know, do I keep several of these streaming services and continue staying with uh, my cable provider? The problem is is that with cable, satellite, whatever your TV provider is, it's expensive because they directly have to answer and comply with FCC rules here in the United States. While Netflix and all these other streaming services, another advantage for them is it's a really gray area to how much control the uh, Federal Communications Commissions here in the United States has control over them. If you notice, when you get your cable bill or satellite bill, you're paying a lot of taxes for broadcast fees, regulatory fees to the FCC. Uh, with OTT, that doesn't exist. If you sign up, you know, for uh, Netflix, whatever plan you pick, I'm on the $14.99 per month plan. So let's just, you know, use that as an example. $14.99, that's all you're going to pay is $14.99. There is no taxes yet. Yet. As this, as this explosion continues to uh, grow, that may change. And of course, all these big studios and, uh, you know, distribution companies, they're going to push back against the FCC wanting their take on uh, these broadcasting networks. But they are on the Internet. 
they are on the internet and there are laws in place that do protect them. So that's just something we have to see. Colette writes uh, her sky bill is $128, um, uh, sorry, 128 pounds a month. That is expensive. Uh, Khaleesi writes a half Philo, $20 a month and get 63 cable channels. You guys want to know how much I pay for my cable TV? Uh, yeah, it's a lot. I pay around 200. It varies month to month depending on the taxes, but it's roughly about $270 per month. That's just for the TV. I had to switch to business internet uh, for my production company with my cable provider, which is Xfinity. And I also had to get a second internet provider, which I mentioned yesterday, which is Verizon Fiber Optic, because I need their fast upload speeds. I need gigabit upload speeds to send our episodes to a place I still cannot tell you. But hopefully I'll be able to announce it soon. But anyway, let's continue with this article. The found footage horror film uh, was shot completely during lockdown last year. The English language film will release in India across four languages, including a subsequent release later in May in Hindi, Tamil, and Telugu. Now, host, we had the star of the movie, which is Haley Bishop, as a guest on our show several months ago. Lovely conversation. Awesome uh, woman. If you guys want to watch it, uh, just go to our YouTube page. Go to our website, Death Talk Live. It's right there. It's under Featured uh, Episodes. It was a great interview. After its success in the United States, Savage's film caught the attention of Blumhouse, the production company behind the likes of Paranormal Activity, Happy Death Day, and The Purge. Last year, the filmmaker went on to sign a three-picture deal. Host is well-crafted, anxiety-inducing thrill ride from start to finish with an electrifying dose of horror, says Avinash Jumani, CEO of PictureWorks, which will release the film on Amazon Prime Video in India. Now, Host, great film. One of the top two horror films of 2020. Uh, it's like around 56 minutes long. And when we had Haley on the show, uh, I brought up the time issue to her. And it was really great, her answer. Uh, the whole movie is a Zoom session, pretty much. And for those of you out there that use Zoom, you know that if you use the free version of Zoom and you're doing group chats with the free version, you're only limited to a 45-minute conversation. So her answer was to stay true to what Zoom offers its free users. They wanted to keep the movie short. Now, the movie is 56 minutes long. The Zoom session is 45 minutes. There are parts of the movie that start the ending, pretty much, that flips over from the Zoom session to their uh, phone cameras. So that's why you have a 56-minute video. So anyway, that's why I wanted to talk about this article and the whole OTT and how they really do not, they're, they're confusing people. I want you guys, at least those who watch my show, to have a very clear understanding of what exactly OTT is. 
So next on the list is Fear the Walking Dead showrunners weigh in on the latest CRM link. Now I wanted to read this because uh, Monday when we had our executive producer as a guest co-host on our show, I asked why does the, why does the Walking Dead keep bringing the CRM into fear? There has to be a purpose. Uh, but they keep shoving the CRM into Fear the Walking Dead. So let's see what the showrunners have to say. All season long on Fear the Walking Dead, we have caught glimpses of a mysterious group with an affinity for graffiti and catchy slogans promising the end is the beginning. And on Sunday's episode titled The Holding, we finally met that group in full along with their charismatic cult leader, Teddy, played by John Glover. Alicia, Luciana, Althea, and Wes infiltrated the underground headquarters of the group that had the dearly departed Virginia so scared, posing as wanderers who needed rescuing, but the seemingly happy-go-lucky members were doing more than just composting zombies, or posters as they call them, they seem to have a much more nefarious plan in mind. Now, going to the whole posters thing, I really think it's their short-form way of basically referring to the walkers as basically compost. That is what they're using for. They're, they're at least most of them. They're blending them up and mixing them in, in with the dirt. Sort of like what you would do with compost. That's what I think it is. I can't think of another reason why they would call them posters. Part of that plan was uncovered when Al and Wes went in search in the bunk of Wes's long-lost brother, Derek, who was with the group. Not only did they discover maps and plans to take out communities like Virginia and their own at the dam, but they found a drop site map for the CRM indicating that the group being targeted in the office building back at the beginning of the season were not the inhabitants, but the helicopter landing on the roof, a helicopter piloted by none other than Al's potential love interest, Isabel. Alicia sacrificed herself to help the others escape and seemed to be destined for the embalming table until Teddy showed up and informed her that I've been looking for someone like you for a long time, while extending his hand out to her, and that's when it cut to credits. What does that final line mean? What is Teddy's endgame? And what does this latest link with the CRM, who have appeared on all three Walking Dead shows, of course the main mother show being the least where we have seen him in, mean for the franchise moving forward? We went to showrunners Andrew Shambliss and Ian Goldberg for answers. Uh, first question. First off, what are we calling this underground group of teddies now that we've met them? Is there a nickname you all have been using for them? Uh, Ian replies, we have names that we call them amongst each other in the writing staff, but there's no defined moniker. We read online people calling them everything from the enders to the beginners. And we both like both of those. But honestly, when we shorthanded amongst ourselves, we say the people who are the spray painting, the end is the beginning. Now, Andrew, uh, it's not really shorthand. 
Now, next question. Where did the idea come for this group? And this out of death comes new life philosophy. Shambliss goes on to say, yep, we are looking for something that felt a little bit different and wasn't necessarily about people just wanting power over people, wanting to control settlements and all that, especially because we had just spent a bunch of time with Virginia and she was essentially a colonial superpower in the state of Texas. But we were trying to think of things that could motivate people beyond that. And we kind of landed on this philosophy and we obviously had been spray painting, the end is the beginning. So we had some inklings of what it was going to be, but then we got to this episode. It was really kind of digging into how we were going to represent that and ultimately, it was through this idea that they were literally turning walkers into compost and turning the destruction that we've seen throughout the entire series into the beginning, sorry, into the beginning of new life. Uh, and it was something that we wanted to present initially as a positive before it started to take a more sinister turn. Next question. So is this a cult? Because it sure sounds like a cult and it sure feels like a cult. Goldberg goes on to say, I think it is, but I think the most important thing to us, uh, kind of, as Andrew was saying, is we didn't want it to feel like a cult. We wanted it to feel like this warm, inviting, somewhat weird, but highly functioning society and only as our characters experience it more and more and kind of mine what's under the surface do we see there's a more sinister motive. There are clues early on while these people are farming and we're seeing crops and everyone is being friendly with each other. There is this drone of a voice that is playing over all of this with the philosophy just on a loop. And that, of course, is Teddy. So that's pretty cult-like, and they are, as we see throughout the episode, true believers and followers of Teddy, despite the fact that his intentions are not necessarily positive. What's Teddy's ultimate motivation here in terms of doing all this? What's his end game? And before I get to the answer, Marco brought up the whole nuclear philosophy, that key that Morgan is holding on to could be the second key that they need to launch nuclear weapons. Uh, Shambliss goes on to answer, well, I can't give you the whole end game, but I think that what we know now is kind of what Al has discovered with Wes when they were snooping in the room, and it's what we've been seeing evidence of. We saw the tower that had been infected with the plague rats. We, thought, we saw what they did to Tank Town. I think it's pretty clear when we look at their philosophy in the end is the beginning that they're all about bringing about the end so something new can start. We hear Teddy's voice say from death springs new life and I think what it is that they're looking to do and what they're going to find out is that they are looking for a way to bring about the end so that things can start over. And it is already the zombie apocalypse, so I, I think as we learn more, we'll see that perhaps Teddy doesn't think that the zombie apocalypse has taken things far enough. And that brings up an interesting point. 
the apocalypse is in full bloom. Uh, you know, there have been many extin extinction-level events throughout our planet's history. Some have been instantaneous, where it's wiped all life. Some have not. So, going to this fictional world of the Walking Dead universe, I really truly believe that in the end, if that humanity is not going to win. The zombies, everyone living is going to die. What Daryl, Carol, what everyone is doing on all three shows and trying to revive life. In the end, it's going to prove futile. You know, it's going to prove futile. Uh, the world has ended. They just are not willing to accept the ultimate fate. Now, I'm not saying for them to give up. Uh, you know, you got to respect the fight that they're putting up. But in the end, I think it's just going to, it's just nature's going to win and the zombies are going to take over. But Teddy doesn't seem to be the patient type. He could very well just lock himself off, like they were saying, underneath in that basement and just let the natural events take place up above. But no, he wants to nuke the world. That's our assumption. We have to wait to actually find out. Uh, Lisa writes, it seems like Al has been the only one of our group from fear that's been finding CRM material. That is absolutely true. And it's it has to do with her connection with Isabel. Uh, Lisa also goes on to say, I think it is a cult. I personally believe in the zombie apocalypse. Cults don't exist anymore. Every community, every group can be considered a cult. They all have their own philosophy, uh, you know, their own way of talking. Perfect example is Jadis's garbage people. Doesn't get much weirder than that. So you could consider every community a cult. So I think in the post-apocalyptic world, cults do not exist. In order for a cult to exist, uh, the majority of civilization would have to be living what we consider a normal life. And then you have these cults. So I just don't think it applies in the post-apocalyptic world. Uh, Khaleesi writes, it did remind me of the keys that Joyce and Jim had to use in the last Stranger Things. I've never thought of that. Colette writes, if the walkers don't get them, uh, kick each other in. Uh, let's see, Goldberg. So the question is, the episode ends with Teddy telling Alicia, I've been looking for someone like you for a long time. What does that last line mean? Goldberg answers, I think he's seeing something special in Alicia, something that he hasn't found in anyone else yet. And we learn at least part of that is what she talked about in her interviews early in the episode with Riley and her relationship to her mother and her mother's sacrifice and also seeing her do something similar by the end of this episode that she put herself in harm's way so that the rest of her friends could escape. And Teddy says, I'm a mama's boy myself. And that is something we will explore later. There's definitely more to mine there, but I think there's a kinship that he feels with Alicia. Granted, they're very different types of characters with very different agendas, but he has a very specific role in mind for her in his twisted view of how he's going to bring about the end. And the question is, is Alicia going to go along with that? 
And that is a question. I know a lot of us now are saying there is no way in hell Alicia is going to be converted to this guy's way of thinking. But anything can happen. I mean, literally, this guy is a very charismatic person to have all those people so brainwashed. Uh, Alicia's going into this right now. She knows he's full of crap, but he feels pretty confident that he can switch her over to his way of thinking and anything is possible. Uh, Colette writes, unless lie war, if the world, sorry, unless lie war, if the world everyday virus kills the zombies off, I don't think anything is going to kill the dead. How do you kill the dead? Except, you know, by bashing their brains in. Uh, so anyway, if you guys want to check this out, this, this is a long article. It is on entertainment weekly. You can go ahead and read up on the rest of it because of time issues. I'm going to keep on going. So, I thought this was funny. Uh, we talked about Midsommar yesterday. How I really like this film. But, you by the end of it, you may question whether... What did you just see? Which I think is Ari Aster's point when he made this film. It's a great movie. I highly recommend you watch it. But this headline is funny. Is this a horror movie or a breakup flick? And if you haven't watched it, you know, when you watch it, you'll get exactly what that means. Uh, Midsommar was written and directed by filmmaker Ari Aster as a, for, as a folk horror tale. This is Aster's second feature-length film and arguably the better of the two. The imagery and the subject matter are right out of a nightmare and it delves into topics of grief and loneliness, loneliness from losing one's own family. But despite some of the more barbaric aspects of the film, it is it actually a breakup flick instead? I think it's both. Both. Um, it's a little bit of everything. And these barbaric aspects of the film, I don't want anybody who has not watched this going in expecting to see non-stop gore and violence. No, that's not what this movie's about. There are some pretty graphic scenes, but the movie's not full of them. They're pretty spaced out, and I think if I were to count them, you could get maybe two or three that are graphic in nature. Don't expect to go and watch this movie uh, and expect to see a lot of gore and guts. That's not what Midsommar is all about. Now, HBO Max and Utopia picks up Sundance coming-of-age horror called We're All Going to the World's Fair. HBO Max and U.S. distributor and sales firm Utopia have acquired the rights to well-received Sundance Film Festival title We're All Going to the World's Fair. The coming-of-age horror drama follows teenager Casey who, who becomes immersed in an online role-playing horror game wherein she begins to document the changes that may or may not be happening to her. The film, which will have its New York premiere later this month at the New, at the, uh, new Director slash New Films Festival, is the narrative feature debut of writer-director Jane Showbron. Utopia will release the film in U.S. theaters early next year. 
and HBO Max has licensed U.S. streaming rights. Uh, with an original score by Alex G., the movie stars Anna Cobb, Michael J. Rogers, alongside a number of performers appearing in various real and stage YouTube videos, including Theo Anthony, Evan Santiago, and the ASMR content creator Slight Sounds. Carlos Zozaya and Sarah Winshaw produced the film with cinematography by Daniel Patrick Carbone and Abby Hari serving as co-producers and casting directors. So if you guys want to check this out, it's coming to the theaters first, and then HBO Max, as one of the many OTT services, has acquired the digital streaming rights for viewing after it leaves the theaters. Now, moving on, trailers. Uh, official trailer, now this, is, this sounds interesting, for online reality show torture horror film titled Funhouse. Uh, let's just watch this trailer before we actually read anything. Welcome to Fergus's House of Fun, now broadcasting live to the entire world. Vote headstone. Vote Lonnie. <laughs> News is entertainment. Politics is entertainment. War is entertainment. And your death, no matter how insignificant that may be, is entertainment. Some will weep for you. Others will laugh. But make no mistake, the vast majority of people who watch you die will feel absolutely nothing. In the end, we are all just animals. Primitive and self-serving until that very end comes. That looks interesting. I'll tell you, I'll just give you my thoughts on that. It's not a new concept, uh, having people, you know, going through life and death situations for other people's entertainment. But they've brought it into the modern age. Uh, shoot, I can go as far back to an Arnold Schwarzenegger film back in the 80s called The Running Man, where they literally, you know, put people in this maze and those who make it to the end survive and get to live. Those who die are part of entertainment. The Hunger Games, kind of similar right there as well. But the Hunger Games is uh, children. To keep the districts in line, you make them, you put them in an in a environment, and they have to kill each other. And the last one standing is the winner of that year's Hunger Games. So it's not a new concept. Uh, what's different about this, though, is that they're incorporating it with the technology that we've all become so used to watching now. That's like YouTube videos, streaming videos, and whatnot, as a way 
to entertain people by watching other people go through death, life or death situations. What's different about this from what it seems on the trailer is that these people going through the through these life and death scenarios are doing it voluntarily. And I think that's a great social commentary to the world that we live in as to how far people will go in the world of social media just to get some attention. So there's some very interesting aspects, not completely unique. Like I said, it goes back, but I like how they brought it into today's society. Um, Tyler Durden on YouTube uh, says, uh, I'll pass on Funhouse. Well, pass generally means I'll wait for it to land on Netflix. There are some really good B-movie new arrivals. And B-movies, you know, B-movies is uh, something that was a big term years ago. I don't think the term B-movies is necessarily relevant in today's filmmaking. There are some very high quality but low budget uh, films, especially in the horror genre, coming out that, you know, back in the 70s and 80s might have been put under the category of a B-movie. Uh, I don't think that's relevant today anymore. And back in those days, when you watched a B-movie, you knew it was a B-movie. The acting was horrible. Even the film quality itself was terrible, as opposed to a higher-budget film. Now, because of the evolution of technology, uh, there are some great stories, great acting coming to us at a not such a ridiculous budget to make, especially in the horror genre, that, you know, 30, 40 years ago might have fallen under the B category, uh, you know, uh, you know, genre, which, so I don't think B movies really exist. Tyler says, I just called him old. Oh, come on, Tyler. I'm 46. I remember the eighties. I'm a, you know, I was a kid in the, I was born in the seventies. I grew up in the eighties and was a teenager and in my early twenties in the nineties. So no, you're not old, Tyler. Megan has just joined us on Facebook. Welcome, Megan. So let's see what else we have for you. Netflix's horror movie, What Lies Below, goes viral for the wrong reasons. And we have discussed this movie prior. Netflix has released a new horror movie on its streaming service and users are not happy with the end result. The movie titled What Lies Below has been the subject of criticism and ridicule all across social media since its release. Both critics and horror fans are upset with the film, and as you can see below, the responses range from disbelief to confusion to outright hatred. I can't speak either way. I have not yet watched this. So some of the comments goes, Netflix, where can I go get the last hour in 45 minutes of my life back for watching What Lies Below. Top 10 worst movies I have ever seen. Another comment goes, I'm like a half hour into What Lies Below, and it's absolutely one of those movies that feels like it was made by somebody with a 
barest knowledge of filmmaking and even less, less knowledge of how humans work. Cannot recommend enough, but I bet you they finished watching it. <laughs> uh, let's see, Tyler writes, we, uh, we tried to watch that last night, What Lies Below. Wife beat me to the remote and turned it off. I mean, it can't be that bad. Um, I don't know. Uh, Kevin Feige reportedly wants Ghost Rider to lean heavily into horror. I'm just keeping an eye on the time. Let's see. Uh, now, this, this headline, let me just read it to you. Erotic lesbian nun horror Benedetta drops trailer. Let's see if we can find the trailer somewhere in here. Let's watch this trailer. And we just got the headline. Let's just watch the trailer. Bartholomea a-t-elle fait quelque chose qui vous est fâché Non. Avez-vous de l'affection Ouais. Ce qui se passe ici est un blasphème. Ce qui compte, le savent déjà. Si cette sœur est coupable du blasphème dont vous l'accusez, elle ira au budget. Mais des accusations extraordinaires exigent des preuves extraordinaires. Je ne sais pas comment Dieu fait arriver les choses. Je sais seulement qu'il accomplit sa volonté à travers moi. Tu dois faire des aveux complets. Renonce à ta vanité. À vous On ne comprend pas toujours les instruments de Dieu. Peut-être a-t-il mis... That actually looks very interesting, and it's definitely a, a erotic non horror movie. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. So the headline is not that far off. The, he the headline again: erotic lesbian non horror. Benedetta drops trailer. It it's French. It looks very interesting. Uh, it was previously titled Blessed Virgin. And it's been since renamed to Benedetta. Uh, Colette is laughing. Uh, Lindsay writes, oh my goodness. Khaleesi is also laughing. I have not seen many French films, especially horror films. I don't think I've seen any French horror films. Uh, but this one might be worth checking out. So let's see. A lot of headlines. Uh, no, I think this might be the last one. Exclusive untitled horror movie trailer puts Claire Holt, Catherine McNamara in peril. Uh, well, let's see. Let's see if we, can, if we can squeeze in one more trailer here. Let's squeeze in one more trailer. Let's go. I don't know if anybody's ever going to see this. 
I have no reception. My my internet is down. Ah! any of the windows or the doors to outside. I think someone the thing is trying to kill me. Why doesn't she just break a fucking window? The script literally makes zero sense. It's about a spirit that attacks people who sin. That's literally everyone. The scenes you guys filmed were good. And if we all did it and took it seriously, Please. we could definitely sell it. Okay, you know you need more than actors and a script to make a movie. You need financing, you need a director. We keep doing what we've been doing and we just shoot it ourselves. On what? On our phones. <laughs> We need to call the cops right now. Whoever did that could still be in your house. What? Why would you say that to her? 911, oh Chrissy, God. now. Max, Max, this isn't funny anymore. If you were actually there and you actually shot it. Why would I tell her to call the cops? I'm not kidding. Hi, yeah. Is this 911? Is this 911? Where'd she go? Where'd she go? Where'd she go? Where'd she Somebody go? call her. Somebody call her. Is this 911? <laughs> Are you guys all in on this together? Is this <laughs> off camera? No. Okay, shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was thinking The Reckoning. No. No. Why? I don't like it. All around, no. Untitled oh, horror movie. What? Feels very meta. This is weird. That looks funny. Uh, it looks funny and scary. June 12th, special live stream premiere event. Does it say where it's going to live I don't really stream? know how to work this. How do I hang up? It's a live stream up. I'm actually very curious to watch that. Uh, I just, it doesn't say where they're going to live stream it. I mean, I think that's just part of the movie tagline, but I wonder when that thing is being released. I, I don't know. It looks funny and, uh, you know, scary, a little scary at times. Anyway, last thing for anybody living near the Orlando area, auditions are open online for Halloween Horror Nights, Scare Actors and Stilt Walkers for, I'm assuming, Universal Orlando Resort, Universal Studios. So for anybody who lives in the Orlando area and you want to be a uh, scare actor, they're auditioning. So you guys can go ahead and uh, try that out. So in the time that we have left, let's... Uh, Khaleesi writes, is this 911? That was hysterical. All right, let's go briefly cover some of the most, uh, you know, infamous horror demons. And we put together a list. Of course, Pazuzu, The Exorcist. That was the one I discussed in the beginning of this episode. Uh, another scary-ass uh, demon is Bagul from the Sinister movies. Uh, he was introduced, of course, in Sinister uh, he became the new demonic face for the boogeyman. Bagul uh, comes from Bagul, which is a pagan deity, and all great demons hailing from ancient Babylon. 
uh, brother of Malak, another evil entity who is related to the practice of child sacrifice. And everyone who has seen Sinister uh, knows it's all about a family member. The demon's main purpose is to get one family member to kill their entire family uh, and actually capture it on tape. Uh, was created when Sinister co-writer uh, had a nightmare after watching the movie The Ring. So I don't know if you guys knew that bit of information. Pinhead. Technically, Pinhead is a demon. Uh, he's a Cenobite from Clive Barker's iconic creation, of course, Hellraiser, leader of the Cenobites, and a true sadist, masterfully played by Doug Bradley, who I've had the honor to actually meet in person. Uh, in the script for Hellraiser, he was credited as Hell Priest and Lead Cenobite. The character was partly inspired by Christopher Lee's numerous performances at Count Dracula. Now, the six demons in the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Love that film. The six demons that possessed Emily are named Cain, Nero, Judas, Legion, Belial, and the devil himself. Now, we all know that demons lie. Uh, you know, Cain, these are a lot of these are biblical. Cain is a biblical figure, killed his brother. Uh, Nero, the Roman emperor. Judas, of course, from the Bible. Then you have Legion, Belial, and of course, Lucifer, the devil himself. The demons cause Emily to suffer stigmata, the unexplained wounding that correspond with the wounds of when Jesus was crucified. Now, the paranormal activity demon, who, you know, Toby is what he goes by, and I'm sure that's not his real name, but Toby from paranormal activity was uh, scary through all of the films up until the last one where they ended the movie where Toby is actually, if you guys watched the last Paranormal Activity movie, you know it ends when we see, you know, Toby take human form and come into this world, which is his whole reason of doing everything he was doing since the very first Paranormal Activity movie. And it ends with the demon getting his way and actually coming into this world. Uh, I do not like that. I think it would have been better if they would have just kept that to people's imaginations. Now, Balok, the nun, the scary-ass nun from the Conjuring movies. The demon comes from real-world mythology. Balok is depicted as a winged boy riding a two-headed dragon. He has appeared in several films in the Conjuring universe, and he's coming up in the sequel, The Nun 2. Uh, has a, uh, uh, he also co-starred, I'm calling the demon co-starring, that's inaccurate, but in the second Conjuring movie, uh, which is where we got to meet Valok, we also got to meet the Crooked Man, who is a separate demon from Valok. And I think, um, based on some articles that I've read, we are going to see movies in the future that explore more about the Crooked Man, what are his origins, and but it's obviously a demon. 
We just don't know that much about him. Because Valok was the main demon in the second Conjuring film. Uh, so let's see. Just going down this list, because we are almost out of time. Now, when you talk about demons, you cannot leave out the Evil Dead movie, okay? The demons have no names. They could not, they could be, you know, spiritual land protective entities from the earth, but they are evil in nature. Just because from what we saw in the Evil Dead movies, they come out and they possess. They don't screw around with uh, oppressing and any of the other stuff that we've come to know in demonic possession movies. So back when the Evil Dead came out, which in my mind is still one of the scariest movies that I've ever watched, uh, you know, they were brought to life when that group in the cabin started reading the Book of the Dead, which is called the Necronomicon. That stirred them up to come up from the ground and to start possessing people one by one. Uh, the only one to make it out alive, of course, was was Ash, and uh, Bruce Campbell, because of the Evil Dead, went on to have an extraordinary career. But the Evil Dead, uh, by far, if you're going to mention any kind of demonic film, the Evil Dead has to be right up there to pioneering and paving the way for future demonic films and how they would be filmed. A lot of films since then, you know, the way going back to the late 70s when the Evil Dead came out, the makeup they had to use, they were really scary. These were scary creatures that we got to see on the screen. And it's not just the way they looked, it's the words that they said. Uh, their intent on just killing everyone around them, the way to manipulate the living to get them to do what they want, to you know, fool them into thinking that the demon has left them and so on. But for me, there is no other even close second. Or the demons and the evil dead, by far the best. Anyway, guys, we are out of time for tonight. I want to thank everybody so much for joining me. Thank you to all our Instagram friends. Thank you for dropping by. Uh, I want to say hello to Bruno on Instagram before we leave. Thank you to all our viewers across all of our five live stream platforms. I'll be back with you guys again tomorrow night. Please stay safe. Again, visit our website, deadtalklive.com, for more information about our show. If you want to be a part of our live audience, we're on Monday through Friday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, streaming live simultaneously to YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. So until tomorrow night, guys, stay walking.